0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University and delighted to welcome today Dr. Barry Popkin, the Carlos Smith Chambly Distinguished Professor of Global Nutrition at the University of North Carolina, where he also directs the Interdisciplinary Center for Obesity. Dr. Popkin is one of the leading experts in the world on global nutrition issues, but also a number of issues related to specific factors that affect the human diet. And in this podcast, we're going to talk about beverages. So, Barry, welcome. Thank you. I'm very happy to have you here. And I'm very excited about talking about beverages because it's a hot topic these days, discussion out there about taxes on sugared beverages and the like. So why should we care about beverages? Are they different from regular old calories coming in? and They time? are.
1: And the simplest way to let people understand that is to think back to hundreds of thousands of years ago when... Our early forefathers consumed only water except breast milk for a a few years of life. And if you don't drink water, you die within two to four days. So they needed water every day. On the other hand, food was found very occasionally. Whenever they eat, ate it, found it, they had to eat it and store it. So you can imagine if the water mechanism, the thirst mechanism, got in the way. You were drinking water, so you didn't want to eat food. So all of a sudden, in the last 50 or 100 years, we've gone from only water, a little bit of milk, a little wine, a little beer, to Hundreds of thousands of people drinking five to ten soft drinks a day. This is the shift. Now, the important thing is the biological mechanism. When I give you water, milk, beer, or Pepsi, you do not reduce your food intake. The same goes for fruit juice, red energy drinks, or any other caloric beverage. So if you don't cut your food down, all it is is calories. So if instead of having in a school a water fountain, we have there a vending machine, the kids add calories to the diet, they get fatter. That's what's happened. Because they don't make up for it by cutting back. We don't compensate. We do not reduce our food intake when we drink a beverage. If I give you, in contrast, a candy bar, you cut your food down. If I give you a salty snack, you cut your food down. We don't do that with a caloric beverage. Any idea why that is
0: the case, why, we, why the body is handling we these We don't
1: cancers? understand the exact biological mechanism. We understand the historical evolutionary context very well. We only discovered our first beverages, really, milk, wine, beer, meat. All those things are 1200 years, twelve hundred 12,000 years ago and less in existence. First juice that was really other than homemade juice came in the 50s. So these these caloric beverages are new. We drank almost none before uh, until after World War II. And literally, Coke didn't become a global company
0: until the 80s. The same with Pepsi. So the body, human body seems to have a particularly difficult time interpreting calories when they come in liquid form. We ignore
1: them. We don't understand liquid calories at all. We just keep eating what we're eating. So if you drink water, you don't gain calories. If you drink a fruit juice, an energy drink... Uh, Whole milk uh, or, or Pepsi, you gain calories. Now, it's okay if it's skim milk, which is healthy and we need it for all its nutrients, but we're just adding extra saturated fat when we go to whole milk. So whether it's juice or
0: whole milk or Pepsi or other things, they're all adding to our, our weight. And you've done some nice work looking at trends in beverage consumption over the years. How have things changed in the U.S.?
1: Well, I think the U.S. is is one of, not the only poster child for negative D, negative trends. In the last 20 years to 30 years, we've increased daily, 217 calories per day, the amount of sugary beverages we take in. For adults, we've increased alcohol as well, but for children, it's pretty much all soft drinks. Children have stopped drinking milk, they need some milk, Not too much, but they certainly need a glass or two, and they stopped it. They've replaced it with all these sugary waters, energy drinks, soft drinks, sports drinks, none of which they need, none of which do anything other than add calories to their diet. What do the trends look like outside the U.S.? Mexico matched us, and they're going bigger than us. Between 1999 and 2006, Every age group from 1 until 65 among Mexicans doubled the amount of calories from beverages during that period. They consume more than we do. Australia does it too. Other countries do. Australia does it with fruit juice. They're getting fat from fruit juice. Uh, Other countries do it from other products, but we're getting fat in dozens of countries from our beverages and shifting from water or unsweetened tea and coffee to all these caloric beverages. A super latte
0: or frappuccino does it just as easily as does a Pepsi. Let's follow up on this. When I was a boy, um, sugared beverages were very few in number, so it would be Coke, Pepsi, 7-Up, you know, Diet, Right, Cola, or whatever it was. You know, there are few things, Orange Crush, but you probably count them on two hands, but now, as you indicated, the number of such beverages has gone way up, not to mention the marketing of them.
1: That's right, that's right, and that's probably the unique difference across the globe. Coca-Cola between 1880 and 1980 went from being a little local pharmaceutical product developed by a pharmacist in the 1880s to a a global product. Red Bull, the energy drink, in five years matched the distribution of Coke. It went from Austria to being found in every store, in every gas station in every country I could take you to in Asia and across the globe. So we today, just in a couple years, we went from no vitamin waters to thousands of them of different varieties across the globe. What sugar, The industry makes a fortune in sugar and any kind of water. They don't care what flavorings they put with it. They don't care whether it's fruit juice, which they squeeze a little orange in and you get that or something, or fruit drinks
0: or some artificial thing. It's all
1: sugar water. They're peddling on us, and we're getting fat from
0: it. Let me ask you about fruit juice in particular. Is that something we should be concerned about?
1: It is if you consume a lot. It has the same negative health effects on weight uh, as does Pepsi or Coke or any other soft drink. In fact, in Australia and Mediterranean countries, there are long-term studies that show people got heart disease, diabetes, obesity from it. Uh, Following the nurses, of 90,000 nurses, Walt Willett and his colleagues at Harvard have shown that women who consumed higher amounts of fruit juice got heart disease as a result. It is... The same. The only difference is we've been sold in many countries a a false bill of goods. We think drinking fruit juice is good for us. We think it's the same as a fruit. It isn't. It may take eight or ten oranges, many apples to create a glass of orange juice or apple juice, and you lose a lot. There's no proof that fruit juices improve our health. What about diet drinks? Oh, that's a tough one. I have mixed feelings, but I did with a a very eminent colleague in the area of health and and beverages, a very careful study, a review of all the literature, and we published it in the Preeminent Nutrition Journal, the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition in January, that essentially finds that in the literature, we can find no negative biological effects from a diet sweeteners. We... You would have to consume about 10,000-fold what a human consumes a day to get a cancer. We can't do that. You, What you can have happen, and we have a small subset of adults to do this, you can have the classical adult who's eating a Kentucky Fried Chicken meal with a Diet Coke. You can go out and use Diet Coke as a crutch and go out and consume a piece of pie. But if you consume a healthy diet, that diet beverage is good for you, as
0: all the evidence can show right now that we reviewed. Some people have raised the uh, question about whether drinking these diet beverages, while they don't give you calories, and that's a benefit, to get people accustomed to a high level of sweetness that generalized other parts of their diet. And,
1: And I've raised the same question, and we reviewed the literature on that. I wish we had an answer. I think There may be something to sweetness addiction, but we don't have research to back it up. We have a few scholars that suggestive of it, that you can even get addicted to sugar and it can have the same withdrawal, but we don't know. We honestly
0: cannot say that. Okay. Let me ask you one final question about beverages. The uh, high fructose corn syrup people, the Corn Refiners Association, has launched a major campaign across the US to convince people that high fructose corn syrup is no different from sugar. Uh, the the soda companies, some of the big ones, have introduced new products that where they've replaced the high fructose corn syrup with sugar and call them natural, like they're naturally sweetened, uh, as if there's some benefit to that. What do you think about sugar versus high fructose corn syrup?
1: Well, I am one of the two scholars that raised wrote in a paper that we hypothesized. We did not know that if you consume fructose, high fructose corn syrup, you might increase your energy intake, and you might become obese and diabetic. However, since that time, there was a lot of research that showed that there's no difference in weight gain on whatever kind of sugar you consume. Furthermore, there's a whole new set of literature out, which I think when it's truly assimilated by the scientific community will lead to a consensus that it's fructose that matters. And fructose comes from fruit, fructose comes from sugar, fructose comes from high fructose corn syrup. So natural sugar is just as bad as fruit sugar. The difference is we never drank and ate much fructose in our diet before the 1970s and 80s. We had a little bit of fruit, not enough to matter. All of a sudden We're consuming dozens, hundreds of grams a day of fructose. That's where the problems come in. So a little bit doesn't matter. A lot, like the average person is doing, is creating problems with diabetes, weight gain, and and it appears possibly some heart
0: problems. Let's finish with the following question. You built a very strong case that... Consumption of sugared beverages has increased greatly in the United States and around the world, and they're one of the important contributors to the obesity epidemic, that the body doesn't recognize the calories very well that come in these sugared beverages, and that it doesn't much matter what the source of sweetener is. It's a problem however the sweetener enters the beverage. What can we do about it? Are there public policy things that you would uh, support that might help address this issue of high consumption of sugared beverages? Yes, there are. And
1: indeed, I've not only supported, I'm actively involved working with them. So the Mexican government is getting ready to tax caloric beverages, and we did some research for them as part of the whole initiative that showed if we tax the sugar in beverages, people would reduce their intake, would reduce their weight, and so forth. I have a study that will come out within a Uh, a half a year in this country when it's published, that will show following 5,000 American adults over 20 years and looking at the price fluctuations that an increase in soft drink price would cut caloric intake, would make a significant reduction in weight, and cut their risk
0: of diabetes. All right, well, thank you very much. That's a, a terrific way to end. Our guest today, and Barry, thank you very much again, uh, Barry, Dr. Barry Popkin, the Carla Smith Chambly Distinguished Professor of Global Nutrition at the University of North Carolina, where he also directs the Interdisciplinary Center for Obesity, an eminent scholar, and the author of a book called The World is Fat that discusses many of the issues that we covered in the podcast today. I urge you to visit the Rudd Center website at www.yaleruddcenter.org for a list of a variety of excellent resources, a free email newsletter that comes out monthly on public policy and nutrition issues, and of course a list of the other excellent podcasts that we've recorded with visitors to the Rudd Center. Thank you.